The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lee, and today's scripture reading comes from Psalm chapter 2 on page 536, if you're using the paper Bible. Um, Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed be the reading of the word. The title of today's teaching is actually the story of rescue because this whole series that we're in leading up to Easter is this idea of really why did Jesus have to die? Um, Because a lot of people wrestle with that question. And here's what I'm learning. Um, And I know that I'm around a lot of people in here that are actually researchers. Like you've gone to school to be a researcher so that whether it's through medicine or through ways of helping businesses or personal coaching, that you can ask great questions of whatever scenario you're involved in so that you can get the outcome that you need. And one of the things that I'm realizing is is that when we ask of Jesus the wrong questions, when we ask of the Bible the wrong questions, when we ask of the Gospels the wrong questions, we get the wrong answers. And what I'm learning, even as a pastor, is that many times the way my thoughts drive me to Scripture will lead me astray, but I need to let Scripture drive my thoughts. And if we're not careful, we will think we know the truth, but we will miss it. And if you caught the gist of today in the singing, truth has a capital T and it has a name, and that name is Jesus. And so if there's no other way for us today, then we need to understand that whatever stress you're under, whether it's of joy or you are under some kind of other attack or whatever it could be, um, we are in a situation where we have to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we're in serious trouble being led astray. And so Jesus had to die. And the way that we ask the questions about the Good Friday, like why on Good Friday... Um, is this death of Christ a good thing for us? And so for those of you that don't need a long sermon today, let me just say this. Um, And I probably could just say this and walk away, but I need to unpack a little bit with us in this. Jesus died to rescue us from our sin so that we could be obedient. But most of us in here have a theology that says Jesus rescued me from my sin. And if we're not careful, we will be content with being rescued from our sin, but we will care less about obedience. Because 
if you and I understand that we've been rescued from our sin, we will define obedience based upon the Sermon on the Mount. And we will define obedience with the word Beatitudes. And so the issue for many of us in here is that, yes, I'm a sinner, I needed saved, but yet I'm not as bad as somebody else. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. So it's like the Luke 7 passage with the woman that's been forgiven much and the man that wasn't forgiven much. And so she's weeping and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and, and drying his feet with her hair. And she's repentant because she knows, even before the cross, the great gift that Jesus was. And Jesus does the, 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 the uh, mind-reading ability that he had where he realizes what the Pharisee is thinking and addresses it saying, if somebody owed a master $500 and somebody owed a master $50 and the master forgave both of them, who would be more thankful? And the guy answered correctly, the person that owed 500 And he's like, yep, she knows. But you don't. Because you don't think you owe much. And that's the issue that many of us are facing in the church today. Is we don't believe Jesus had to die to forgive much. So therefore, we don't really feel like we owe him much. Um, and because of that, I, I feel like we need to take a quick look at the Gospels. And I don't have time today to read all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to you. Um, and you probably are going to be appreciative of that. Um, we would be here all day, but it might be a good exercise. I'm actually using the Gospel of Matthew as a way of driving my Lent reading. But I will have to tell you this, I can't stop reading the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 through 7 is dominating my reading because I feel like I get to the end of it and I realize that the way that we get through the storms of life is our feet need to be firmly planted on Jesus. And then I struggle to say, but I, I don't want to do these things. I don't want to be kind. I don't want to love my enemies. I don't want to do these things. And then when I realize that Jesus is like, wait a minute, I'm your example of what selfless living looks like, then I'm like, man, but I don't want to be selfless. I like to have something that's just all for me, right? I mean, I, I, again, we all struggle with this idea, but if we accept this forgiveness of Christ, the gospel, the good news that our sins have been forgiven, and that we've been invited into a family, that has a huge impact on us. The problem is that most of us believe that we've only been forgiven of our sins and that we're not invited to something else that Jesus called the kingdom. And so we have been developing this personalized, I'm forgiven so that I can go to heaven rather than I'm forgiven so that I can see heaven and earth come together now. And that's what we find in the four Gospels. Um, so for those of you that don't need any more, you can mentally check out or, or scribble on your note paper. All right? But for the rest of us, I want to unpack this just a little bit farther. Um, this past, well, two weeks, um, we lost a champion of our generation um, in the Christian faith, Billy Graham. Some of us are huge Billy Graham proponents. I mean, I have seen people this last couple weeks um, say, you know, it's father, son, spirit, Billy Graham, right? Um, that's what I've seen. And then I've seen others that were like, you know, yes, he had the gentleness and the compassion and he didn't care what political affiliation. He, he, he met with and spoke with dignity to everybody that he ever met from the powerful to the poor. But yet I had a problem with his invitation. Like I was reading theologians online that were talking about the gospel according to Billy Graham. 
And some of you in the room are like, yeah, because some of you are anti-church because your parents were turned off by the hellfire and brimstone preaching of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, or even 90s or 2000. Some of you come out of churches that are still where the pastor's shaking and he's not going to be content until he realizes that you all are burning and you're like, yes, I'm burning. And so I want to go to heaven. So I'm going to come forward so I don't burn. Right now I'm sharing that because most people that believe in the gospel just don't want to go to hell. That was one of the struggles in some of the narratives I was reading this week between people that wanted to dignify and to give um, courage or respect to a man like Billy Graham, but they were theologians that were like, I, I need to say that, but at the end of the day, the tent that they were meeting in wasn't on fire. And people need to understand that their sins are forgiven and they're invited to something other than not burning for eternity. Right? And so there are people that have, are trying to make sense of all of this. And so when it just happens that this week when we were going through this preparation for Easter that the Billy Graham funeral falls on a week that we're talking about the Gospels and what the Gospels actually say. And we begin to see um, all of this idea of what did God really rescue us for and let me go back to the slide that we've been showing you the last couple of weeks of this storyline of all eternity where it comes, talks about Moses and the prophets in Christ. Most people believe that the cross dropped into history when God was the most frustrated. Like he was like, man, they're just so screwed up. Jesus, you got to go. Rather than God looking at Jesus saying, now's the appointed time. It's a big difference between God panicking and sending Jesus than God saying it's now the time. Because God is omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, and there has never been a human in history that has not been loved by God. Just because the people are on the left side of this cross on this screen in front of us does not mean that we are better than them. Or that they, man, man, it just really was bad that you were born in the first maybe five or 6,000 years of human history. Like, oh, poor pitiful them. They didn't have Jesus. And so there are a lot of people that believe that everybody leading up to that cross is in hell. Right? And if I was to ask for a raise of hands, there would probably be some of you like, you're making me very uncomfortable right now. Because so many of us believe that we are a blessed people and that anybody before Jesus was unblessed. When in actuality, God has been loving people since the first humans he's ever, he ever created. And he's talked about them as being good, and he's talked about them with pursuit and presence. And when you look at all the teachings we've been giving these last few weeks, you can find that God has always wanted to put his presence with the people so that they could get a glimpse of what heaven and earth coming together is like. But the majority of the Old Testament is a story of the children of Israel not bearing the image of God that they were asked to bear. But if we back up, if we go back to the original families, God has asked all of us to bear that image. So he put on a nation of people a calling to be a holy nation that other nations would join into their story as the family of God which is why Jacob was changed to Israel in the first place. 
is because there was an invitation for other nations and people to be drawn into this family of God to be the people of God, worshiping God as king. And that's been going on all throughout Scripture. The only problem is, is that there were little exiles and big exiles because we as a people just want to be our own gods. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to live the purpose God has for us. We don't want, to, we don't want His image to shine. We want our image to shine. And so we wrestle through that, and that's why we needed to be rescued by Jesus. Because we desire to take the image of God that's been given to us and say, I own that, that's me. When in actuality, we are designed to reflect His glory to all parts of creation. And so when we look at the Gospels and the narratives around the Gospels, we need to make sure that we are pursuing what God's plan has been for, all, for us all along. Now, let me be very clear. If it wasn't for the cross and the ways that our sins were atoned for, we would be separated from God for all eternity. But that's not the only thing the Gospels say. But, the, but one of the things that I've realized is, as much like in a marriage relationship, there are times when we say to one another, you're not listening to me. <laughs> you hear that? There was a faint amen over there that sounded a lot like my wife. <laughs> um, which I guess I could have anticipated that. But the response generally by my spouse is, oh, I'm totally listening to you, but you're not saying the right stuff. (laughs) Right? But that's the way that our roommate conversations go. That's the way our struggles with other believers in the church go, is we're talking and we're talking and we're talking and we say the same thing over and over again until the other person's like, believe me, I'm listening to what you're saying, but you're just not saying the right thing. And that's what happens many times when we go to the Gospels and we read them, and then we're like, but that's not saying what I want it to say. And so we don't read it anymore. We go pick other passages of Scripture that we think are saying what we want to hear said, because that's what we want to hear said. And I believe that's part of the reasons why a lot of churches don't preach out of the Gospels that much anymore. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And many churches probably have gone years without even mentioning the Sermon on the Mount. Because if you actually read it, you're like, oh, we're not doing that. Or I'm not doing that. Or how do I lead people to do that? So let's just go to something else that's easier to talk about. So is it that we're, ask, is it that we're really asking the wrong questions? I do believe that we all deserve separation from God. I I believe we all do deserve hell, to be honest with you. That's what we deserve in our sinfulness. That's what we deserve in our wickedness. That's what we deserve. But yet, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, right? That for all of us that believe, right? And then He goes on to say there's no condemnation. Like, when was the last time you were in church and you didn't feel condemned? Like, we, like we, we struggle as ministers representing the love of God. 
And I, and, I, and I apologize to you for that. Because on many occasions, we get caught up in the moment, and before long, the sermon's more about us than it really is about the truth about God. And that's why finding a good church is very important. And that's why being able to walk with truth and integrity is very important. And and trying to continue to say, well, is that actually in the Gospels? And encouraging us as a church to read it, not in isolation, but together. And saying, is this true about God's love for us? Is this true about what he's saying for us? Because if what happened on Good Friday really did happen, which I firmly believe it did, It means that God loves us, and it means that I must obey Him, and it means that obedience looks like the Beatitudes. That means, right now, I'm supposed to love the people I hate. That means that I should show mercy to the people that don't deserve it. Now do you see why we skipped the Sermon on the Mount? It's not, it's not always fun being a peacemaker. Let me tell you this. I have tried on many occasions in Baltimore City to be a peacemaker. And the old phrase, uh, peacemakers are like bridges. They get walked on from both sides. I mean, it really is true. When you try to stand in the gap, especially right now between political parties, like Republicans and Democrats, you try to stand in the gap of that right now, man, good luck. Your arms aren't even long enough to stand in the gap. I mean, you really need like 10 people in a chain holding on like the monkeys in a barrel, right? In order to begin to to get the gaps that are happening between people in our country today. But that's where the church fits. Peacemakers. But yet, there's times that we're supposed to tip over the tables. Now, when do we do that? Because, you know, how do we know when to do that? Like some of us are really good at tipping over tables and somebody needs to grab a hold of you and say, not every table needs tipped. (laughs) That was a good table, Right? (laughs) But some of us, we just get carried away. Have you ever gotten to the point where you just got fired up and before you realized that you ate the whole tub of ice cream? Right? Sometimes we just don't have a break, like a little break. And there has to be a moment for us where we realize that because of Jesus, our sins were forgiven, and now we have the capacity to finally do what he planned for us to do. So from the beginning, he's had a plan. Sin interrupted that plan. We don't just need to be forgiven from our sins. We need to be put back on the plan. And that plan is that Jesus is king. That plan is is that we obey him. And when we do that, the peace and the unity and the love that we experience between one another is beyond our wildest imagination. But the problem is, is we're overcome with our selfish desires We're overcome with our own praise. We're overcome with wanting people to like us and to what we and and the fear of being persecuted, the fear, all these things just continue to come at us. But in reality is until Jesus comes back, which there are days right now that I've been begging the Lord to come back because I'm tired of the fights that some of us have been facing weariness. And then I, then I come back to the two words, if you've been a part of our church for any of, of a, a period of time, you know that two words in the fruits of the Spirit that I want to delete are perseverance and long-suffering. I'm like, why do they have to be fruits of Jesus? Why can't it just be, you know, joy and gentleness and kindness and everything comes right away, right? Why, why, why should we have to have any type of long-suffering? Well, uh, we, don't, we don't know. We know that there's an age to come. We don't know when it's going to come. 
We know Jesus told his disciples not to worry about it, um, but it was going to happen, and he wasn't going to leave us, and he was going to send us a helper to get us to the finish. But there's a plan for us, and that plan is to bear God's image in the world. So there's so many other parts of this today that I would love for us to be able to go through, but that's why it's a series, and we're going to have a chance to walk through this over the next few weeks. But God has a rescue story. And the rescue story is exemplified in the Lord's Supper. And we take the Lord's Supper the way that we take the Lord's Supper in the church because we don't come to the table just to remind ourselves of how we've been rescued. We are now joining in a kingdom of rescuers. I, I, I want that, that needs to set in. We don't just come to this to celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We come to this as a reminder of how we ought to live. Obedience for us, living out the Beatitudes, means that there's some days you're going to be the bread and the juice on the table for somebody else. Because how else can we bear the image of Christ unless we look like Christ? And there are going to be people that need us to get into the mess with them. And, and do for them what they couldn't do for themselves, right? And that's why after we go through and we get to Easter, we're going to look at the book of Acts for the next year. Because when you begin to read the book of Acts, in light of the fact that these people were celebrating the gospel, the good news, that Jesus forgave the sins of the world so that we could be obedient that's what the book of Acts is based upon. They looked at all the Old Testament prophecies. You look at Acts 4, which actually quotes the scripture passage that we read today in Psalms 2, which is this Davidic psalm that's talking about the Messianic king and how he was going to bring together all the evils of the world. And when you read the Gospels, you realize that that's what happened. That the Messiah, God himself, According to Matthew, Emmanuel, God with us, according to the Gospel of John, the Creator, the Word, from the beginning, stepped into this world and took on flesh and blood. And when you begin to see that in the Gospels, that the Holy One, according to Luke, joined us to attack all evil. If you read the Gospels, you can't help but notice how the Pharisees, Sadducees, and religious leaders were doing what? plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus went into his own hometown. And did they welcome him with a bouquet and a, a, a parade and all this kind of stuff? What did they try to do to him in his own hometown? Push him off a cliff. When Jesus got out of a boat and was walking past some tombs to go into a Samaritan area, who greeted him? Demons. In, these, in some of the Gospels, there's one guy that came out another gospel story two guys came out and next thing you know pigs are running into the water because the demons recognized him because there were forces at work so all throughout the gospel story every prophecy about the messiah the servant coming together in jesus christ was that he was going to take on all evil because up until the cross hit the timeline the kingdom of this world was a king that had been kicked out of heaven, right? 
was, a, was this kingdom individual that had lost in the kingdom and came to earth to rule and to reign and he was screwing it up for us. And God's like, no, I'm going to put myself back on the throne on earth because those people down there that I created are good. They bear my image. And I have a plan for them. And I want them to fulfill that plan. And I'm going to help them fulfill that plan. And when you look at the interaction Jesus had in the desert with the enemy in Matthew 4, and you look at the words of the Pharisees at the end leading up to the cross and how they accused him and how they mocked him. If you really are, if you really are, if you really are, let me just tell you this. The enemy is an accuser and he's going to continue to tell us if you really are, if you really are, if you really are, because he doesn't want us to live out the Beatitudes. He doesn't want us to look like Jesus. So he wants us to just be content to not go to hell. Because he doesn't want us to live a kingdom life now. Because he knows our promise. He knows the promised resurrection that we've been promised. And he doesn't want us to bear the image of God. But he knows that he only has a short amount of time to still get some victories. And so if he can limit us and he can keep our impact down um, and we don't join into the rescuing journey then he's won a minor victory before the major battle that he's going to lose. But in the meantime, we have the power of the Holy Spirit to remind us of the promises of God. And the accuser has no voice. In Psalms 2, why did the nations fly into rage and why do peoples think empty thoughts? Let me just tell you this. Because there are real enemies at work in this world. There's real evil. But Jesus defeated it. That's why Good Friday is so important. But if Jesus had to join into a rescue mission and we join into a rescue mission, there's risk. We don't have a life free of all pain. We don't. If you've watched any movie in recent years about people that rescue people, you will find that they put themselves in great danger. Um, there was a movie my wife and I watched recently that was a great leadership movie, and we loved every minute of it. We we're like, oh, we got to get our staff around the TV and watch this movie, which I'm not going to tell you because everybody has different levels of, oh my goodness, I can't believe the pastor watched that film. You know, like, I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> and then other people are like, oh, wow, yeah, the pastor, he's cool, he watches movies. So, um, so I want us to stay to Scripture, but let me just tell you this. There's this movie about a guy who actually is a part of a Coast Guard rescue mission. And he goes out to save a sinking ship in a boat way too small to accomplish the task, facing all kind of challenges in weather and conditions, um, but yet is successful. But yet he overcame all his fears, which I think the movie did a great job depicting, overcame his love for a woman and not staying on land because he knew if he was going to go, most likely he might not come back. And so he learned to sacrifice and to give things up for, the, for somebody else. And when I think about that, it, those movies come into real life for me, thinking about the fact that until Jesus returns and calms all storms finally and for once, he's asking us to look like him and to go out and make rescue missions and to care for other people. And that's what God wants us to do. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the chance to share this morning with, with your people, with my people, your church, this body. 
And Father, right now we're getting ready to come to the Lord's table. And at this table, we get a chance to remember the great love of Jesus Christ. We get a chance to remember how far you were willing to go to save us. And Father, I pray that today, that at some level, um, we feel inspired to revisit the Gospels. Because Father, we need to see what Jesus really came to say, and what he really came to do, and how the early church actually quoted and lived out what Jesus came to say, and what Jesus came to do, and what the promises were. Father, yes, Yes, you forgave us of our sins. Yes, you've promised us heaven. But Father, there's an obedient act of living that we can do that can bring heaven and earth together. And so, Father, whether it was the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the temple, or your church, Father, you've been looking to have your, your space and our space joined together. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a church where heaven and earth meet that we would be a people that wherever we go, that we realize that we're holy, that you inhabit us. We are your tabernacle. We're tabernacle people. We are your holy of holies in this world today. Not just for the future, but for today. And so, Father, for those that have not yet given their lives to Jesus, Father, would you have them do that today? Would they walk in the truth? Would they confess that it's true, that you love them that much, that you've forgiven them and that you have a plan for them and that they want to be obedient to you? And Father, for the rest of us that are getting weary in it, Father, would you continue to be a healer and a restorer and give us the courage to lay our lives down for others? Father, that we would continue to see ways in which you want us to grow in our faith and in the image of Jesus. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We thank you for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.